Well, good morning. So great to see each of you here today. If we have not had opportunity to meet, my name is Jordan, and it is such a joy to have you with us. We are in the middle of a series, a little short series on church membership. But I want to tell you, next week, we are headed back to the book of Colossians. And so, if you don't have a Colossians journal, on the, on the front uh, out here, we're just asking, if, if you can, $3 donation and a Colossians journal. One side is the biblical text, the other side is blank. And so, you'll have that as we walk through the book of Colossians. We're in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7 next Sunday. Got about 22 messages left in the book of Colossians, so we've got a long way to go. But the book of Colossians is a very precious, as all books of the Bible are, and I hope that you uh, get it out this week, Colossians, and read it again and get ready to launch back into the deep in the book of Colossians. And those journals are right out there. If you are a guest with us, I want to extend my word of welcome to you as well. If you're here in the room or you're online, we're so glad to have you with us. Well, friends, let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into God's Word. Our Father, we need your help this morning, for we are a people who have many needs that, God, you are intimately aware of. There are some in this room, Lord, who, uh, like this song that we just sung, it just washes over us, Lord. They're, They're battling shame over the past sins. And we thank you, Lord, that your grace has made us new, that we stand finally, fully, and forever forgiven, those who've put their trust and faith in Christ alone. And I just ask you, Lord, that the salve of your gospel, your good news, would just stabilize us in you this day. Lord, we think about those like our dear sister Mayhem, who is with you now, Jesus, that uh, we uh, recognize your evidence of grace in her life, and we just praise you, Father, for so many in this congregation who for many years now have served faithfully, have loved well, have loved you well, and have loved this body well. And we just pray uh, continually for Joe and their family, Lord, that your hand of grace, that Jesus, you would just shepherd them real well, uh, like you so are amazing at doing. Lord, we thank you for uh, this yesterday and all the men that gathered here at the church as we gathered around your word, God, and encouraged each other in the discipline of purity. Lord God, I pray that you'd continue to build biblical momentum in the life of this body, that you'd continue to make us hungry, God, for your word, that we wouldn't desire a man to give us his word, but we would desire a man who would cut up and, and dice the text so that we could say, the Lord is speaking. God's word is what is beaming from this pulpit. And Lord God, we pray for those um, in this room who are kind of kicking the tires on Christianity possibly and trying to understand what all the excitement is about Jesus and what all the excitement is about the gospel and what all that even means, Lord. I pray that today would be another day that you would show them and reveal more and more of the truth, God, of who you are. For ultimately, salvation is of you and it is you, Lord, that causes hearts to change. And so I thank you for changing my heart 
and even today, continuing to refine me. And Lord, I pray for our church, Pleasant Valley Church, for all of us that are in this room today, watching online, that we would give ourselves to your word and that you, God, would open our ears, open our eyes as we read your word, we see it with physical eyes. God, may we see it with spiritual eyes. Thank you for the week behind us. Thank you for what you have in front of us. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, last week I asked the question, what should we want in a local church? What should we want? Not what do we want in a local church, for there's a lot of people who uh, have their own preferences and how they were raised and things that were important somewhere else, and they say, well, that's what I'm looking for in this church because X, Y, and Z. Well, that's not really the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking when it comes to a church body, a church home, a faith fam, is what does the Bible say? As I read the portrayal of the New Testament church, what should I want in a local church? And we noted last week a few things, certainly not an exhaustive list. That wasn't meant to say only these three things. But there are some things, and I encourage you, if you didn't see last week, to go back and, and look at a few of those, those things that should mark your pursuit of a church that we would say is New Testament faithful. And so how do you accomplish a healthy church? Churches are supposed to be healthy. Can we just say that most churches are not healthy? Can we just say that there are some pieces in this church that are not healthy and that we are working on and seeking to have a more biblical ideal of what we should be? The question is, how do you produce church health? How do you have a healthy church so that, watch this now, you actually produce healthy Christians? Because the ones who are a part of that church are actually the ones that are being developed into a Christian as that church and that teacher and that leadership is giving. In fact, the Bible makes it very plain that you and I should be growing. Amen? That we should be going, 2 Corinthians 3, from glory to glory to glory. That some of us in this room are in first grade spiritually. Some of us are in pediatric care spiritually. Some of us are in eighth grade spiritually. Some of us are working on our bachelor's degree spiritually. But here's the reality. All of us have room to grow. Amen? And the goal for you is to, if you're in first grade, you need to be in second grade. If you're in fourth grade, you need to keep growing so you'll graduate into the next grade. And the role of the church is to come alongside the Christian to help them grow, to be a more godly individual. And the answer for me as I read the New Testament of how do you accomplish that is there has to be some process where people can say, I want to be a part. I want to be a part. I want to go from just attending to belonging. I want to go from just watching to actually engaging. I want to go from sitting on the, in the stands in the universal church, that is, your faith is resting in Christ alone. I want to go from sitting in the stands, maybe armchair quarterbacking a little bit, maybe looking at the game and saying, oh, they don't do this and they don't do this, and sort of Mr. Critiquer, plenty of those. Maybe you would say, I want to go from that 
And I actually want to get on the field and get my jersey dirty and get blood on my eyebrow and maybe twist my ankle in using the gifts God has given me, rubbing shoulders with a group of imperfect people so that together we can glorify Christ and we can see a church be healthy and begin to mobilize outside the doors to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth with the glorious gospel of our our Lord Jesus Christ. See, every local church has deficiencies. Every local church is a local body. Your body right now, can you be honest with me? Every system in your body is not as healthy as it should be, right? But it's all part of your body, I mean, for me, I have systems in my body that I wish were a little bit better, but I got other parts of my body. You need me to throw a football with this right arm? I can do it. It's healthy. It's ready to go, ready to launch. But there's other parts of me. That's how churches are. Every local church has some parts where they're really healthy, and they have some parts where they're deficient. Maybe they got an ankle that's sort of twisted, or they got a limb that's connected, but it's not really functioning in the body. That's every local church. So if you're looking for a local church where every system is firing on all cylinders the way the Bible says that it should, you're not going to find it. Just like if you tried to find one physical body in the natural where it is working at 100%, you're not going to find it. So what do you do? You try to eat better. You try to take your vitamins. You try to do what he says, the doctor, because you're trying to get all of your systems to be more healthy. That's the picture of Pleasant Valley Church. There are parts where we are deficient. And let me tell you, sometimes the way God meets deficiency, and I would say many of the times, is two ways. Number one, the members that are part of that body that have said we want to be in, step up and meet those deficiencies and help. We're not doing this as well as we should, and God's given me this gift, and let me plug in, and let's, let's do it. The other way is for God to add people to the body that have gifts we don't have, to help the body mitigate some of the reality of the deficiencies that we have. Now, I think what you can say as you step back and you look at our body, God's doing that. Amen? He's doing that. He's bringing individuals in this church who have gifts and, and have abilities that maybe we don't have, or maybe they're not as efficient as they should be. And so God's going to bring them in here. And can I just tell you, I realize some of you that have been here for a really long time, it kind of makes you nervous. It kind of makes you nervous. Because for the longest time, you might look around and you might say, this body was this way and it looked this way and it felt this way. And, and as God adds to this body, friends, the natural result is the winds of change just begin to take place. And I just want to tell you this. If you've been here a really long time, can I just say thank you? from the bottom of my pastoral heart. Because listen to me, friend, you being faithful here and you continuing to put your jersey on and you show up and you say, God, use me the way you want, we stand on your shoulders. I've only been here six months, okay? So God has brought me into this body. I'm sort of, quote, new as well. So can I just say that I am so grateful 
that many of you, we stand on your shoulders right now as we take the baton and we move forward as a body, but I just want you to know that you're appreciated if you've been here so long. If, if you're new to this body and God has added you, can I, can I just thank you for allowing God to use you and bring you to this place? But I want to challenge us, if we are not careful, if we are not careful, and we do not begin to dig in each other's lives, and we do not begin to literally go sit somewhere in this building where maybe we don't normally sit. I don't want to mess with your seat, but <laughs> it ain't your pew, so to speak. I just want to plead with you as your pastor. Friends, we've got to get together. We've got to make sure that we're together. We've got to get ahead of this thing, okay? Because... What's going to happen is there's what's called conversion growth in a church. There's what's called transfer growth. Transfer growth is when you have someone that transfers from another body or they come in and they have uh, meat on the bone, so to speak, spiritually. God's used in other places and they say, I want to join that body and be a part. Then you have conversion growth. Conversion growth is when someone becomes a believer, is baptized, and becomes a part of the body of Christ here. And, and we need conversion growth because new blood is exciting, right? Life is exciting. Transfer growth as well because what I see one thing God is doing in our body right now, I believe with all my heart one day the conversion growth of us seeing people call upon the name of the Lord and be saved here, baptized and grow, it's going to happen. And what I see right now is so many of the folks that God has brought here transfer growth, man, you, you got some spiritual meat on your bones, brother or sister, and, and we're grateful for you. And God's helping strengthen us so that when all the new blood gets here and all the, trans, and all the conversion gets here, we're going to be an even more healthy body ready to receive them. So that's just sort of a side note. If, you're, if you see all this newness around and you've been here a while, it makes you kind of nervous, that's normal. I had a member this week reach out to me and say, Pastor Jordan, I'm telling you, I'm not sitting in the same place anymore. This next time, I'm, I'm going to start sitting by people I don't know, asking them questions, getting to know them, because by golly, I realize it's not just you, Pastor, it's not just elders, it's not just, it's all of us who have to make an effort to sometimes literally reach across the aisle and say, let's get to know each other, and ask God to bring unity into, I just, God wants that in our DNA, and I'm pleading with you, it's on you, and it's on me. And so when it comes to church membership, um, what's a good definition? Well, I think this is a really good definition of what it means to be a member. Saints, you must be a saint, holding saints, Christians, accountable to what the Bible calls saints to be and do. That's what church membership is. It is saints or it's Christians holding saints accountable to what the Bible calls Christians or saints to be. So the reason that I I believe the Bible would commend you and I to, quote, join a church is I I noted last week three things. Uh, Number one, there's a responsibility that we as the people of God have to to our elders. Second of all, accountability of elders to the saints. And third of all, the necessity of church discipline for all. Now, Matthew 18, Jesus makes it really clear that there are going to sometimes be people in the life of our body, a definable group, who have allowed the deceitfulness of sin to get around them. 
And since they said they want to be a part of this body and we want to hold each other, each other accountable to the Bible, that we must go talk to them. Have coffee and begin to graciously say, brother, sister, I love you. I want God's best for you. And right now, this area in your life, given book, given chapter, given verse, given context... You know, I want, the, you know I, want your, I want accountability in my life and I, want, and I love you too much. Well, th- sometimes they make, you know, don't judge me. Get out of my face, yada, yada, yada. Well, then you have to bring someone else and then they may do the same thing. And ultimately you have to bring it before the church and, and the church renders a verdict on the case. That's why the Bible says that the church has the keys of the kingdom. All right, it's just funny the way that a lot of people take that verse to mean something you never meant. What it simply means is we have under the authority of Jesus in that moment to look at the erring member and to put them out. We have the keys of the kingdom to treat them like an unbeliever. That's hard. So today I want to show you 1 Corinthians chapter 5, not a fun text, but a necessary text. That that necessity of church discipline for all. So Jesus said how we should do it. And what I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 5 is that when you join a church and you say, I want to be held accountable to the Bible, That's all church membership is. It's just saying, hold me accountable to live out the Bible. And if I don't, please help me make it right. 1 Corinthians 5, you see what Jesus taught actually played out. So notice 1 Corinthians 5. Let me set the context for you. This passage, again, is is distressing to read. But in the church at Corinth, there was a man who was sleeping with his stepmother. And apparently... The church at Corinth turned the other way. They said, we're not going to look at that. We're not going to address that. These are individuals who are a part of this local body, and he has sin in his life. He's began to say it's okay. He's justifying it. Because you hear people say, well, we all sin. How could you do this? Well, here's the deal. You've moved past the point when you begin to justify your actions before God as though they're okay, when the Bible makes it very clear, the way you are habitually living your life is in rebellion against the Word of God, and you don't care anymore. See, when you don't care anymore, that's when you should get very alarmed in your own heart, and that's when the church must step in. That's when the body of Christ must step in and help. Remember Jesus' teaching, Matthew 18, 1 and then 2, and then ultimately before the church. Well, I think as you read 1 Corinthians 5, as this church is, 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 is trying to live this directive out, there's some things I want you to see. Because Paul rebukes this church very harshly. He says, Corinthian church, I cannot believe that you are allowing this habitual immoral behavior to continue in your body. So at the end of the chapter, Paul calls on them to loving discipline. Please hear that word, loving discipline. Notice verse 12. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now this is hard truth. And what is clear is I want you to see in regards to local church membership is there's two groups here. There's those who are in the church. There's those who are outside the church. Those who belong. Those who don't belong. Again, the Corinthian church is definable. There's objective criteria that constitutes 
what a local church is, who a local church is. Notice also, purge the evil person from being in the church. I remember having a conversation with a prospective member at another church years ago. And he sat in my office and he said, Jordan, I love what God is doing here and I want to join, but I got a really candid question for you. I said, yes, sir. He said, will you kick me out? Will you kick me out if I, if I get caught up in the deceitfulness of sin? Will you kick me out? Long story short, what he was saying is, are you going to hold me accountable to what the Bible actually says, or am I just going to join this church and just be someone else, just to absorb into the number, or am I actually a person that you're going to spiritually care for and watch over? Now, I got to tell you, it's pretty bold, right? Pretty bold. He said, before I join, I want to make sure you'll kick me out. He said, I want to make sure that you take church discipline serious. See, the goal of church discipline, friend, is it's redemptive. It's for reconciliation. It's not for retribution. But the question I have is, how do you have formal removal unless there's some form of membership in place? How can you formally remove someone if they're not a part? How can you formally say, you've got sin in your life, I want to hold you to this, unless those, that individual has said, I want to be held accountable to that? In other words, formal exclusion of the church assumes formal inclusion into the church. There's a way to get out. There's got to be a way to get in. My argument is this is the means of a formal process. Notice he says in verse 4, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In other words, there had to be a definite and formal assembly of the church. They knew who the you was. They knew who the you was expected to be when they assembled. When it says when you are assembled, that could say when y'all are assembled. When you all are assembled. When you Corinthians who are part of the, when you come together. See, Notice verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders, Paul says? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Boy, that sounds so different than a lot of Facebook Christianity. I tell you, friend, the discipline that Paul speaks, is this is only intended for those who were in the church. You need to understand, when the Corinthians heard Paul's message initially, you know what they thought to themselves? They thought, oh, we got to be so careful in hanging out with sinners. I can't have a relationship with people in the world. And Paul says, Corinthians, you got it wrong. Notice verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since you, you would need to go out of the world. So Paul says, you find believers outside of the church who are living in rebellion against God, don't avoid them, go to them. They need the message of the gospel. They need to know the good news that Jesus has for them. But then he says, I'm writing to you, verse 11, not to associate with anyone who bears the name brother. Now that's someone who professes to be a Christian, an Adelphoi, a brother or a sister in Christ. I'm telling you, don't associate with someone who professes, notice professes, Maybe not possesses, but professes. If he is guilty, 
and is seeking to justify that behavior, like this man who said, it's okay, I can sleep with who I want, do what I want, sexual ethics, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, if I want. Of sexual immorality or greed or as an idolater, reviler, drunkard, swindler, don't even eat with them. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? His point is simply, you can know who is on the inside and the outside. And Paul says, I'm not saying to disassociate yourself from those who are in the world who are not Christians, but I'm telling you to disassociate with one who professes to be a Christian and then lives habitually in a way that discredits the testimony of their faith. Put them on the outside. So again, inside, outside. This is one of the reasons we have member meetings, because there are times, friends, when we must render discipline. And I could tell you story after story in other churches that when this took place and, and the way God used it and the way he protected the purity of his church, here's the reality. We are all sinners, saved sinners nonetheless, but none of us are beneath getting, doing something very, very ignorant. Amen? And then justifying it. And then rationalizing and saying, well, this, well, this. That's why we need people. That's why, friends, that's why we need more than our own eyes to walk right. We need other people's eyes on our lives in times like this, to actually judge us. Not the motive of our heart, because that's what only Jesus can do, Matthew 7, but the fruit of our life. This is what Paul says. So this goes for me. This goes for you. This goes for pastor, anyone and everyone, saints, elder, everyone. The necessity of church discipline for all. Unless you have a clear way to say who's in and who's out, the means of church discipline, you don't just discipline anybody walking down the road or someone who just wanders in. Just like Corinth, they didn't just discipline anybody who wandered into their church service. We wouldn't do that here. It's members. It's those who said, we have a theological conviction. We want to be held accountable. Fourth of all, reasons for joining, the intentionality in caring for our widows. Paul says regarding widows, uh, 1 Timothy 5, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. One of the reasons we need to have membership is so that we can uniquely care for our widows. This is a biblical reality. Paul says he gives instructions here who meet these qualifications, who need financial assistance of some kind, who need help, who need groceries, who need someone to listen to them and are in a place where they do not have a husband and no one to help them out. We have a responsibility to care for our widows. It's difficult to me to understand that they would have a list of qualified widows, but they wouldn't have a list of members. It's difficult for me to see that in the biblical text. What, what seems to be a natural reading is that the, the, there was a larger list that constituted who is a part of the Ephesian church that Timothy is being pastored by as Paul is encouraging him. And that from that greater list would come a list of here's our widows and here's the qualifications of what it means to be a widow and this is how we're going to care for them. So it wasn't any widow in Ephesus. It wasn't any widow. No, they were going to care for anybody. They were, they were to be good to all, the Bible says. But then there's a qualified list of widows who say, these are our widows. These are who we're going to care for. Five, authority of the congregation in decision-making. This is another reason. Authority of a, of a congregation. Just one example. The church met, Acts 15, in what's called the Jerusalem Council. Very important event in the life of the church in the first century. And what they were meeting for 
is all these Gentiles, these non-Jews were coming into the church, and they didn't know what to do with them because they hadn't been circumcised. And the question was, in order to be a part of the way, the word Christian wasn't used yet, to be a part of this new movement of followers of Jesus, does one have to be circumcised to get in? And they get together, Acts 15, they have a council, and they say, what we have determined is faith in Jesus Christ is what constitute a person who's following the way. So no, they don't have to be circumcised. Well, then uh, it, it says um, in verse 22, notice, of Acts 15, it seemed good to the apostles, one group, to the elders, another group, and to the whole church, which included the first two, to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. You see that phrase, the whole church? differentiated from the elders and the apostles. So my question is, who constituted the whole church? How, how was it known of, of who was in and who was out? And, and it was really important to the Jerusalem council that letters go to these individual churches so they would know how to deal with all the Gentiles coming into their churches. So these are individual churches. As they say, as you receive new folks into your flock, and they're Gentiles, they don't have to be circumcised, okay? They just have to believe and rest in Jesus Christ alone. But the whole church is embedded in here, the whole church in individual churches. And then I would just say as the authority of the congregation, ultimately I don't have as a pastor or an elder, nor do I believe the biblical text, I can simply say, you're a member, you're not a member, you're in, you're out. It's not how the Bible works. Bible works Matthew 18, the ultimate authority is not with the elders, it is with the church body. The affirmation of the body. So when, we, when someone joins this church, our elders recommend individuals, but ultimately the church is the one who votes them in. The church is the one who affirms them that they are with us. And Matthew 18, I, I believe, make it really, really clear that the ultimate authority, the buck stops with the people who have gathered and said, we are the body in this local place. Six metaphorical reality for the bodies of Christ. Notice bodies. Notice plural. Notice bodies. It's really amazing the ways that church is described. A body. 1 Corinthians 12. Jesus the head. Um, body parts organically connected. In Acts 20, 28, the Bible talks about the church being a flock. A flock. And every church is a flock. And uh, the shepherds in these flocks know who they're responsible for. So there's a body, there's a flock. And then notice 1 Peter 2. This idea of spiritual stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can you, you see this word picture here? See, this is the outside of our building right here. This is a picture of us being living stones. So everyone who's a, who, who said, I want to be held accountable, I want to live accountable, I want to live out the Word of God at Pleasant Valley. The Lord Jesus, I don't know, you came in in 1982, you came in in 2022, you came in in 2023, you came in in 1992, but the Lord is building a spiritual house here. You understand that? That the building we, we house in, this is the vehicle. The, the, we're the vehicle so that the spiritual stones can come together. Now, do any of those stones operate independently of the other stones? No, they do not. They're all tied together. They're tied together. And this is a picture of the unity of the body of Christ globally in heaven, but also bodies on 
earth. So when I talk about membership, I'm not talking about a club. I'm not talking about a group. Watch this now. You're, when you join a church, what you're saying is, I want to join other Christians who share a theological conviction, who have relational accountability, who identify that they're going to use their gifts here. Uh, church membership is not about someone's control over you. It's about your commitment to everybody else. Church membership is not about authority as much as it is about accountability. Church membership is not about someone being over you as much as someone being beside you to live out the Christian life, to walk with you and love you and, and serve Jesus alongside you. So there is a metaphorical reality. Seven, priority of gathering as a church. Uh, just a passing phrase in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one of him, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. The question is, how were the leaders to know when the you come together? In other words, there's a way to say this is a definable group. Eight, priority of scattering. So this is embedded in number seven. But we're supposed to gather as a body and scatter. Gather and scatter. Gather and scatter. Gather and scatter. Gather and scatter. We gather. We build each other up. We hear the Word of God. We confess sin. We do everything the Bible calls us to do. And then we scatter out of here. And we go share the name and fame of Jesus all over our neighborhoods and the nations. Amen? So they're built on one another here. But I want you to notice this passage and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, hello, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the return of Jesus drawing near. Notice the goal of meeting together. It's to stir up, to love, good works. Love without works is empty emotional sentimentality. A lot of people love, but it's nothing more than emotional sentimentality because it has not given way to good works that are rooted in love. But good works without love is hypocritical and probably to make you feel good about you. And so love and good works go together. Can I tell you something? You need people to stir you up when you gather. So that when you scatter, you'll scatter better. You'll live on mission. Maybe you'll come to the body and you'll, you'll at a conversation, say, I'm thinking about doing this, I'm thinking about doing that. Here's what the Bible says, but could you pray for me? And, and, and they, they help you. We, we build one another up. You, you talk about your neighbor who's lost, who needs Jesus, and you say, well, you pray for them. You talk about your own needs and, and what's going on in your life and your marriage and your home and your teenagers and your parenting, and, and you come and you say, I need prayer, and you get built up and, and you go back out. See, the Christian... Um, without the helping and the stirring and the prodding of the body, friends, I would just simply tell you that you're not going to be everything God has called you to be. Now, do you have to join a church to get that? Technically, no. But in order to fully be known, you're going to have to let your guard down enough to simply say, I want to be held accountable, and there's some areas in my life that I'm not walking faithfully, and I need your help, and I need your prayer. So let's all face it. We all have blind spots. You have blind spots right now. There's areas in your life that you think you're doing really well at right now, 
around, you're not. There's also areas in your life where you think you're doing real bad at, but you're really not. And you need, you need someone to be able to look you in the eye and say, brother, sister, I see this in your life, and wow, you're killing it. And then I see this area in your life, and I, I think there's a better way. I would just say, unless you officially say, I want to be a part, you won't fully let down your heart and let people into that. So a heart of, uh, part of our DNA, I pray here at, here at this church, is that awkward conversations with each other are just normal. Awkward conversations. Did you know things are only as awkward as you make them many times? <clears throat> awkward conversations, where we can have hard conversations. We can say, brother, you told me to pray for this. I prayed for it. You, you said you were going to do this, but when I see you, brother, sister, you're not doing it. But I thought you said you wanted to. Don't judge me. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says judge, don't judge the motive of the heart. The Bible's all about looking at each other's fruit. So then, love and good work. So reasons to formally join a church. And let me tell you something. I have scratched the surface, but responsibility of saints to their elders, accountability of elders to the saints, necessity of church discipline for all, intentionality in caring for our widows, authority of a congregation in decision-making, metaphorical realities of bodies of Christ, priority of gathering as a church, priority of scattering as a church. So why membership? Well, I, membership, because we, because we want to be biblical. We want to take these commands and live them out. Why membership? Because this world wants you to buy into a bill of goods that pull you into its mold that say maintain your autonomy maintain your autonomy commitment that's so old school accountability that's so old school nobody does that anymore spiritual authority any kind of authority that's evil just float around don't settle down don't be accountable to anybody just read your bible you and jesus it's another form of american democracy coming into your life and and don't be accountable to anybody why membership because we want to be the body of christ people can look at it and say look at how they love each other look how crazy they are about jesus why membership so that when your life starts falling apart and if it has not fallen apart just be patient but when your life falls apart, you'll have a group of people who will come alongside you and bring you food and watch your kids and do what they need to do to help nurse you back to health. That you would overcome struggle. Why, why membership? Well, because in the face of relativism and this postmodern mush that says there's no absolute truth in the world, you can join a body of believers that simply says, listen, the Bible is the Word of God, and it is true, and anybody that disagrees with it is wrong, and I want to join a place where we'll lovingly stand upon the truth of the Word of God. Now, friend, you may be here today, and you may say, you know all this membership talk, I think you need to calm down. I don't think it's necessary, kind of outdated, kind of boring, not flashy. Well, friend, I want to push back on you very gently, because the Bible doesn't have a category for you being disconnected from the local church. Uh, you don't just attend, you, don't, you belong. And, and, and theologically, we come on the same page. Practically, with a body of those who have been baptized, and, and you say, this is my church home. I admit this, we may not be for you. We may not be the church home for you. I don't want you to join this church if that's not what God wants you to do. My lands. We may not be for you, that's okay. But you know why I pray for you more than anything? is that God the Holy Spirit would plant you somewhere. 
He wouldn't float from flock to flock and go here and go there, but she finally said, by golly, there is no perfect church, so I'm going to plug in and serve here. If that's us, let's talk. If not, that's okay. We love you. We want God's best for you. Speaking of our church, our monthly rhythm here is to eat the Lord's Supper together as those who are followers of Jesus, and we celebrate this this, um, as a way of remembering and celebrating Jesus. We, we eat bread celebrating his body that was broken for us on the cross. We drink juice that is symbolic of his blood that was shed. And if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, we pray that, that you would see when we take these elements and eat them that we're proclaiming God's gospel to you, that you need Jesus, friend, as John said. Your sin right now is going to be judged before God and you need someone to pay the debt for you. And Jesus did. You have to receive him, though. Uh, Your next step is to be baptized. The reason that you get baptized in in many ways is you tell people, I'm saved, but you're also saying that um, I I actually have met with someone and they understand that what the Bible says a Christian is, um, and and the church is affirming the fact that I believe the gospel, actually. That baptism doesn't save me, but it's a public demonstration. It's an initiatory right into the body of of Christ. And so, if you're not a baptized follower of Jesus, this is a really important biblical step for you. Most important is that you receive Christ. And so today, have you received Christ? And then if you're here today and you're ready to take the Lord's Supper, then our men are going to serve it to us. And I want to have a time of prayer and a time of just you, for just a moment, just simply asking the Holy Spirit this question, have I done anything to harm this body in any way when it comes to unity? If you have, then you will drink judgment on yourself if you do not ask God to forgive you. It's a really, really big deal, church unity. So could we pray? Our Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, what a, a colossal, um, colossal amount of really good, necessary exhortations from your word that just remind us on the beauty, Lord, of the church. Jesus, the very ones you bled and died for. Oh, Lord, thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Christ living, Christ dying, Christ rising, Christ ascending, Christ ruling, Christ reigning. One day, Christ returning. Oh, Lord, help us as your dear children to rest in your great love. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us from our sin. That we might publicly identify with you in water baptism. Place us in a body of believers to live out the exhortations in your word. Oh, Lord, if there's someone among us who would admit they're not certain of a right relationship with you, again, Lord, they're they're kicking the tires on Christianity. They're not sure about it. Lord, would you cause them to be born again? Would you cause them to see their need, Lord, for a Savior? Thank you for your glorious kingdom that you've brought us into. Use this time, Lord, to purify your body that we might be a better body for you and a better body for this community, Lord, for which you've called us to reach. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.